This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Cam McLeod and Briar Schmigelski have left British Columbia and have been spotted in northern Saskatchewan. Cam and Briar are no longer considered missing. The RCMP are now considering Cam McLeod and Briar Schmigelski as suspects in the Dees Lake suspicious death and the double homicide of Lucas Fowler and China Dees. That is Sergeant Janelle Shayette from the BC RCMP speaking a little more than an hour ago with that shocking turn of events. The two teens initially listed as missing in the northern part of the province now considered dangerous suspects in the murders of two young tourists and an unidentified older man. Now, we're not getting a whole lot more details other than that right now. RCMP saying they don't want to jeopardize the investigation. But really, until this morning, until about 11 o'clock this morning, it was believed that those two teens had vanished while driving to the Yukon in search for work. At least that's what they had told their family. That's what they were going to go do. Instead, We now know their burning camper van was found last Friday, about two kilometers away from the site where the body of an identified, unidentified older man was also found and nearly 500 kilometers away from the Liard Hot Springs area where uh, China Deese and Lucas Fowler were murdered a little more than a week ago. What is going on in this case? How unusual is it, these developments that we're seeing right now? We wanted to talk more about that. Joining us is Dr. Michael Arntfield, who's a criminologist at the University of Western Ontario. Dr. Arntfield, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on. How unusual is this case from what you've seen so far? Well, it's very unusual. Uh, I actually predicted yesterday once the um, word of the burnout vehicle was announced and that no bodies were inside, that that was likely an attempt at destroying evidence and that uh, the missing teens were likely persons of interest. Now they're actually been declared suspects. And that's, I think, in part because uh, this poses a serious threat to public safety, given that you have not one but two alleged killers working as a team uh, who are at large. And uh, in Canada, team killing, as we call it, particularly uh, serial team killers, which, uh, I mean, these are allegations or suspicions, but if, if they, they turn out to be responsible, they are by definition serial killers, uh, is, is pretty rare. In the U.S., it now accounts for about 26% of all uh, serial murder cases. So it's interesting. Uh, some criminologists predicted a few years ago these cases would probably increase, and now we see it coming to Canada. What were the reasons why criminologists would say this would increase? Uh, we don't fully understand why we uh, or why, but we do know that it statistically has been increasing consistently since around 1975. It was initially uh, fairly rare for two people to find each other who would be prepared to carry out these types of crimes. Uh, and the thought is just with a, a, a traveling and motoring public that you get people brought together in a car who, who come up with these ideas. And we actually see, looking at about 115 team serial killing cases in the U.S. Uh, over the last 100 years or so. Number one, it goes up sharply after the 90s. And uh, number two, about one-third of these cases are committed while traveling on the road in a, in a vehicle, much like the one in this case. And you, you said that when you heard the news of the burned-out vehicle, you started to think there was more to this case. What was it about that? Like, is there a pattern? Is this something you've seen before? So, first of all, uh, the fact that in the initial murder of the couple... 
that there did not seem to be, first of all, a, a motive, at least not one that was made public. Uh, there was no talk of a robbery or of, of a sexual assault. The bodies were in, still in the vehicle, as I understand it. Uh, very rare for a single offender to ambush uh, a, a, a two or more people, whether it be a male and female or two males. Uh, so that, number one, suggested uh, a duo. And number two, what's interesting, uh, you can glean from that that the, the motive by default was what we call thriller enjoyment. And in solo offending cases, for uh, solo murderers, that only counts for about 2% of uh, the motive for murder. Uh, that jumps to almost 30% when you're talking about team killers. So just statistically and based on what the crime scene and there is some original crime scene uh, video footage uh, that was made public uh, based on what I was seeing it suggested to me two or more offenders male offenders uh, and then when you have the boys vanish and their their vehicle is torched near where a third body is found to me it, it suggested uh, some kind of a, their involvement on that part why do you think this case has attracted so much attention? And it's, it has, I think, for the public and the media since the moment we heard about Lucas Fowler and China Deese. Yeah, I mean, this is really a case, I think, that galvanizes people. Number one, it, it stands, the horror of this case stands in sharp contrast with sort of the, 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 the scenic hinterland of the area. And number two, you have very sympathetic victims, I mean, uh, who are tourists to this country, uh, and, you know, starting their lives together, it seems, who are, are, are killed at random. And then now we factor in the mysterious circumstances of this still unidentified body. You've got the, the composite sketch, which it looks like in so many cases of composite sketches may just be a red herring. Uh, and now you've got a manhunt. And so, I mean, it has all the elements that I think really... Uh, really seize people's attention for the right reasons. Okay, you said, like, with so many composite sketches, they turn out to be red herrings. Why is that? Uh, we never really know. I mean, it's the same as vehicle descriptions. I mean, uh, the number of cases that have been derailed because there's an eyewitness description of a vehicle, uh, much like an eyewitness description of a person of interest that then gets sketched out. And, uh, I mean... So many cases like this, people see ultimately who they want to see. They call in. Uh, I mean, they can be useful, but they often they use up a lot of resources chasing down leads that end up uh, being dead ends. And in reality, much like again vehicle descriptions. Speaking of team killers, I mean the most probably infamous wrong vehicle description is, is the white van attributed to the DC snipers about right. 15 years ago. Um, it, it can really derail an investigation. And, and these people, they're made with good intentions, but unfortunately they, they very seldom pan out as, as viable leads. Now, given your knowledge of how these things work, like what's happening, do you think, in the investigation right now? Well, uh, there, there's going to be numerous police agencies involved. So you're going to have something of a, a quick rig task force, for lack of a better word. You've got police in Saskatchewan, obviously, involved, which will involve include the RCMP, but may include also municipal departments, depending on uh, where they're seen next or, or last seen or presumed to be traveling. You've got the RCMP in BC. Uh, the FBI is involved, as I understand it, because of the American victim, as well as, uh, I mean, this is so close to the border, they're going to naturally take interest. So uh, you've got essentially a manhunt. You've got two crime scenes back in BC. This is, uh, I mean, all hands on deck, and there's a lot of moving parts. And factoring in, again, the urgency and, and threat to public safety, I mean, this is really going to pose a challenge for investigators. What do you think about the amount of information police have provided at this point? Well, 
I think initially, obviously, they were reluctant to say, you know, these cases are connected, which would uh, send the public into a panic. Uh, but I think their approach so far has been uh, measured and responsible. Uh, they didn't rule out that they were connected. Naturally, people are going to ask questions. I mean, how are all these events occurring? So in such close proximity, and at least in time, in, in an area that sees very little violent crime. Uh, and then obviously, once they know that they're suspects and there's a sighting of them, they very quickly alerted the public and, and specifically as to where the public should be looking for them. Right. So when you look at a case like this, and obviously you've studied quite a few of them, what? how do you classify it as, because we've heard the term already, like serial killer? What makes a case serial killer and others multiple murders? Right. So uh, since about 2006, there has been essentially a uh, agreement among scholars of homicide, uh, and this was agreed upon at a symposium in Texas uh, that included law enforcement agencies, that serial murder is now uh, two or more murders at separate times and places. And they could be, uh, they're typically separated by at least um, a day. Uh, you could have a set of serial killings in one day, but we would tend to refer to those as multiple murders for the reasons you mentioned. So it's successive murders versus uh, separate times and locations and victims for different reasons. Uh, the U.S. federal code definition is still three or more victims, but that's largely a bureaucratic definition just to justify the involvement of the FBI in these cases. So two or more victims, uh, separate times and locations. So this one qualifies under that definition? Absolutely. Right. Okay. So uh, do you think the distance here provides a challenge to investigators as well? You're talking the two scenes 500 kilometers away. Now you're talking they've been spotted two provinces away. Yeah. And this is, again, I'll go back to the DC snipers case. When you have active killers on the move uh, and then active crime scenes spread so far apart, uh, it, it poses significant issues just in terms of uh, crime scene management and relaying information and ensuring continuity uh, between the scenes, as well as, again, uh, tracking the suspects. So uh, this is, however, I mean, a great example of why having a federal police force, unlike in the U.S., that has actual officers on the ground and deployed in patrol operations, that um, it provides cohesiveness and continuity uh, that will hopefully um, you know, pan out in this case. Right. So you're saying in this case, the structure of the RCMP is a help. It is, very much so. All right. Well, Dr. Arnfield, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me on. Fascinating discussion. That's Dr. Michael Arnfield, criminologist at the University of Western Ontario, who's clearly studied lots of different crimes, weighing in on what we have heard from the RCMP today.